Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. There's a party watching the Kansas City Chiefs. And who wouldn't? Everybody wants to see Taylor Swift, right? Oh, excuse me. Everybody wants to see the Chiefs win. So four diehard fans get together and they watch the game. So how do three of them end up dead on the porch in the backyard? Focus on porch right outside the door. You can see it. How do three of the friends end up dead and the fourth friend claims he was, quote, asleep? For two days, he was asleep for two days. He never went outside and saw the dead body. Okay, I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thanks for being with us here at Crime Stories and on Sirius XM 111. What do we know? Listen. On January 8, friends and family of David Harrington, Ricky Johnson, and Clayton McGinney are concerned about their friends. The last they knew is they were headed to Jordan Willis' house to watch the game. But now none of the guys, including Jordan Willis, are replying to messages on social media or by phone. Okay, right there. January 8th. It's cold. They are partying at Jordan's home. Jordan Willis, the homeowner. They're watching the Chiefs. And the next thing you know, three are dead. And one claims he's been asleep for days. With me, an all-star panel. But first, I want to go to the woman who has been breaking news about the story from the get-go. It's Jen Smith. And she is joining us from DailyMail.com. Jen, that's where I first found out about this. And it really just hit me in the face. This guy, Jordan Willis, I mean, he's no idiot. Isn't he Uh, a scientist. He's a young guy, big Kansas City Chiefs fan, but he's smart. He's really smart. I don't get how he sleeps for how many days while his friends are dead in the backyard. Yeah. I mean, very, very fishy to say the least. Jordan Willis, as you rightly point out, is an accomplished scientist, done loads of research into HIV and AIDS, lots of research into COVID-19, very accomplished guy, no form of record, living in this home in Kansas City, Missouri. He had gone to high school with two of the three men who were later found dead, was friends with the other for many years. Seemingly a completely normal guy. He lived alone in the house. He worked from home. He had his two beloved pit bulls there. How many pets does he have? He has two pit bull mixes. They're called Sadie and Daisy. Wait, Sadie and Daisy don't have to TT for, what, 72 hours? Well, on this particular night, Nancy, Daisy and Sadie weren't in the house, according to Jordan Willis. They were at his father's house, which he says is something that is totally routine. He often sends them to his father's house, so they weren't actually there, he claims when all of this happened. Okay, uh, James Shelnut joining me, high-profile lawyer, joining us out of Alabama. 27 years, Metro major case in a big city, former SWAT now leads the Shelnut Law Firm. James Shelnut, let me remind you, defense attorney, there is no father-son privilege like attorney-client or priest-parishioner. No such thing. You know, husband, wife, the wife can't blab that the husband did it. So what I'm saying is 
if this is true or not true about the dogs being at the dad's house when the three friends are found dead in the backyard and on the porch, he's got to testify if called. Absolutely, he's got to testify. And, you know, he can be subpoenaed in front of a grand jury. He doesn't have to talk to investigators when they come to his house, but they can most certainly down the road, if, if it becomes necessary, subpoena him to a grand jury. And then he will be forced to testify unless he himself were to take the Fifth Amendment. Now, you know, Shellnut, I never discuss politics because I don't want crime and crime victims to become some kind of political football. But when this reality of the law came to the forefront was during the Bill Clinton era, when Monica Lewinsky's mother was called to a grand jury and everybody was screaming, oh, the mother's going to have to testify. That's wrong. That's illegal. It's not. It is not illegal. Mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, they have to testify. They cannot take the fifth. They've got to tell the truth about their relative, their son, their daughter. So that's when it came to the forefront, harsh as it is. Of course, I'm not saying the mom or the dad won't lie under oath. I mean, Take a look at Casey Anthony, top mom. Her mother, Cindy Anthony, a very nice lady, got up on the stand and she, I believe, perjured herself and took the heat, claiming that she made the searches for homemade chloroform, which she said she meant to type chlorophyll. Okay, whatever. That said, she still got called to the stand. So if what Jen Smith is telling us, chief investigative reporter DailyMail.com, is true, the dad, I guarantee you, is going to be questioned. But back to the three dead bodies. Listen to Sydney Sumner from Crime Online. On Tuesday, January 9th, 9.51 p.m., Clayton McKinney's fiance shows up at the house. She sees the cars in the driveway, and since nobody is answering the phone or replying to messages, she breaks into the home and screams Willis's name. She has had no communication with her partner for two days, and she wants answers. She walks through the house and doesn't find her fiance. Then she looks on the back porch and sees a body. Holy moly. So the fiance has been trying to reach... All of these guys. Let me understand Jen Smith joining us, DailyMail.com. Did she just call her fiancé, Clayton McGinney, or did she try to reach the homeowner, Jordan Willis? All of the above. She tried to reach Clayton. She tried to reach Jordan Willis. The other families also tried to reach him. Before the fiancé eventually went to the house on, and, and she ended up breaking in, actually, through the basement because she got no response when she banged on the door. Other families had gone there and banged on the door and tried to get in. They sent Jordan Willis Facebook messages. They called him, all of which they received um, silence from. So it wasn't as if this was her first attempt. Including calling all the friends, all four of them, including the homeowner. And I'm not calling him the perp or the defendant because he, as of right now, has not been charged with a crime. Okay, let's pick it up with the fiancé. Going through that, breaking in, I mean, she sees the cars out front. She sees that they're all still there, but nobody's answering the door, the phone, messages, nothing. So she breaks in wisely and starts screaming. Let's pick it up, but how did the whole thing start? Okay, let's freeze the screaming fiancé in time. 
How did this day start off? Listen. January 7 is a football day for the Kansas City Chiefs as they will be playing the Los Angeles Chargers. So 38-year-old Jordan Willis invites a couple of buddies to come to his house and watch the game. David Harrington, Ricky Johnson, and Clayton McGinney arrive at Willis' house in time for the 3.25 p.m. Central Time kickoff. They enjoy the game as the Chiefs beat the Chargers 13-12, to and Willis makes plans for them to all get tickets for the next home game. Okay, what happens then? After the game, Jordan Willis waves the guys off and crashes on the couch. Willis has known two of the men since they were in high school, and the other is a friend. Willis wakes up later and doesn't see the guys, so he assumes they took off and heads to bed. He leaves the doors unlocked so the guys can come and go as they please. Okay, right there. Back to you, Jen Smith, joining us from Daily Mail. He leaves the doors unlocked, but when the fiancé got there, everything was locked up tight. Very, very strange. And I want to go back to his story about when he goes to sleep, when they leave. This has changed quite a few times since this story uh, came across all of our guests. Now, he has an attorney who I spoke with yesterday. Wait a minute. Did you say he's lawyered up? He is lawyered up, Nancy. Mm, Okay. So initially, he claims, I left them all to hang out in the living room and I go upstairs to bed. Now, the story is, I waved them goodbye, saw them out the house, then returned to the couch where I crashed, then at some stage went from the couch to my bedroom And sometime after that, he believes, they came back to hang out because they didn't want to go elsewhere to a bar. And that's when he's claiming there was whatever happened, happened. But this timeline is very strange and it's changed a lot. I mean, he says, I asked him, well, how did they get back in if you'd gone to bed? Oh, I left the doors unlocked. But like you rightly point out, when the fiance shows up two days later, she can't get in the house. Okay, he's, wait, one of the stories is that they watched the game, they made plans to buy tickets for the next game, and the three friends left, and he went to sleep on the sofa, then later went to his bed. The other story is that he went to bed, and he left them all down there partying. Is that right? Or did he saying they left and then they came back? Yeah, that's right. The initial story was, and this is coming from his lawyer, that he went to bed, leaving them there. And then it changed yesterday to, no, 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 I misspoke. What I meant to say was he waved them off, they left. He then fell asleep on the couch and then later goes up to bed. And they must have come back somehow. So that's a very significant shift in narrative about the night in question. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. You know what's interesting? To Dr. Jory L. Crosen joining us, psychologist, former law enforcement, now faculty at St. Leo University and consultant with the Blue Wall Institute. Dr. Jory, thank you for being with us. You know, I remember distinctly, crystal clear, the last time I saw my fiance alive, the day he was murdered. He drove out of my driveway. I was living with my parents. He held his left arm out of his car on his way back where he lived in Athens and waved at me. That's the last time I saw him. 
I remember the last time I saw my dad before he passed away. But this guy seems to have a hard time remembering exactly when he saw his friends alive. They're all dead now. Yeah, there's, I, I would take two different uh, perceptions of this. You know, that he's changing his story is one, and he may have used like a sleep aid, you know, and the sleep aid helps him go to sleep, but it also kind of um, affects memory, the ability to form memories. And that comes from, you know, once you get into a deep sleep, that's where memories are really getting organized in range sleep. Certain medications like an ambient, there's been a lot of research about ambient behavior, people falling asleep, getting up and doing things and not remembering Are them. you talking about him taking some sort of a sleep aid or some type of medicine like cough medicine that would make him groggy and somnambulant? Yes. Okay. You know what? I want to follow up on that. Jen Smith, DailyMail.com. Is there any mention of a sleep aid or any type of medication that would make him, let me just say, groggy as a, a vernacular for somnambulant state inducer? Nothing so far, Nancy. So one of the questions I asked his attorney yesterday was specifically, were there any drugs involved in the evening? Were there any drugs taken by the group, by Jordan, in the house? He refused to answer. But so far, nothing about any, let's just say, Robertessen? No, nothing like that. I mean... No Benadryl? No mention of anything. He did yeah. mention that they had been drinking, but nothing about any kind of sleep aid or um, other type of, you know, legal drug. Nothing like that. Is anyone remembering the so-called cough syrup killer who claimed he was some ambulant when he murdered his wife? Take a listen to our cut 17. This is Matthew Phelps. Desperately calling 911. Tell me exactly what happened. I think I killed my What What do you mean by that? What happened? I had a dream. And then I turned on the lights and she's dead on the floor. How? How? I'm blo- I'm, I have blood all over me and there's a bloody knife on the bed. And I think I did it. You think you did it? Hell yeah, you did it. Listen. Okay, is she is she awake at all right now? What makes you think she's dead? Is she awake? She's not breathing. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, do you think she is beyond beyond any help? I don't know. I don't. I'm too scared to get too close to her. Okay, just stay on the phone with me, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm here with you. I'm here with you. I'm so scared. I'm scared. Yes, Sydney, you better roll your eyes. She rolled her eyes. Almost the same time I rolled my eyes. Hey, can you find out how many times he stabbed her, Sid? Okay, but, but wait, but wait. But before you do that, it ain't over yet. Have you noticed how calm he is? Yeah, I think she's dead, but I'm afraid to touch her. Really? Okay, more. When did you, when did you wake up? I don't know. I don't know. I took I took more medicine than I should have. What medicine did you take? I took I took coarse eating, cough and cold. Of course, you can keep coughing cold because I know it can make you feel good. So a lot of times I can't sleep at night. 
Okay. All right, Okay, Robert Tyson, you're not guilty. Corsi and HP, you're on the docket. Sydney found out for me how many times he had stabbed his wife. Does anybody just even want to guess? You know, let me throw it to you, Justin Borman. I ain't gone to you yet. Wild guess. How many times? Don't look it up. I'm not looking it up. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing 24. Okay, good guess, because I was thinking 19. Dr. Kendall Crowns, you haven't looked it up, have you? I have not. Okay, I had a feeling that laid-back Dr. Kendall Crowns had not looked it up. Just give me a wild guess. How many times did he mur- did he stab his wife while he was asleep? And for those of you that can't see me, I'm absolutely using air quotes. How many times? Just throw it out there, Dr. Crowns. 56. Uh, good guess. 123. Wow. Oh, moly. 123 stab wounds, and he slept through the whole thing. Take, take a listen to <laughs> Dave Mack. Yeah, right. CrimeOnline.com. Matthew Phelps is a 29-year-old Bible college graduate with a fascination for the movie American Psycho. He calls 911 just after 1 in the morning, claiming his wife Lauren has been stabbed. He tells police he took some cold medicine with coracetin and went to sleep. When he woke up, his wife was dead and a knife was on the bed. Lauren Phelps had been stabbed more than 100 times. And even though they find blood evidence at the scene, investigators determined that Phelps cleaned up a lot of the blood before he made the 911 call. During their investigation, police find out Phelps has told friends he wonders what it would be like to kill someone. And he likes to take cold medicine for fun. Phelps is charged with first-degree murder, and after trying to use the cold medicine defense, he pleads guilty and is sentenced to life in prison without parole. So, Dr. Jory Cross, and I'm so glad that you brought up maybe he had, what, Benadryl? Yeah, something like that. Don't care. Don't (laughs) care. And as Jen Smith is telling us, there's been no mention of any sleep aid whatsoever. So let's get back to what really happened. Who is this guy? Who is the homeowner, as he has been described, Jordan Willis? Take a listen to investigative reporter Rachel Bonilla with CrimeOnline.com. Jordan Willis is an HIV researcher and protein scientist who lives and works in his home in Kansas City, Missouri. Willis is an accomplished scientist whose research into COVID and HIV has been praised in the medical world. In interviews, he describes his two pit bull mixes, Sadie and Daisy, as the light of his life. Okay. Uh, Joining me is a renowned medical examiner, the chief medical examiner in Tarrant County, that's Fort Worth, lecturer, University of Texas, Austin, and Texas Christian University Medical School, Dr. Kendall Crowns. Dr. Crowns, thank you for being with us. What is a protein scientist? A protein scientist, uh, they... They are the people that work with uh, developing immunizations and things of that nature. They're working at like kind of more cellular, molecular level with the actual proteins that make up uh, our our bodies. Okay, uh, could you just stop right there? I learned a lot of Latin phrases in law school, but nothing about what you just said. What? Just slow down. Speed limit 75 MPH. Okay, please. What? Protein scientist is basically someone who is looking at very detailed, minute, molecular things that are associated with the body. They're often associated with developing immunizations and figuring out how viruses work, things of that nature. He sounds brilliant, right? I'm... To figure out, to research and develop advancements 
and COVID-19 immunizations and vaccines and for HIV. I mean, am I getting that right, Jen Smith? Yeah, it, exactly. So that was a huge amount of his research. He celebrated in the field, given plenty of interviews, you know, a great education, Nancy, um, a really promising young scientist by all accounts. Okay, so can we get back to the three dead bodies? One on the porch. Let's get back to what happened. Take a listen now to our friend Nicole Parton, Crime Online. Seeing a body on the back porch still screaming Jordan Willis' name, Clayton McGinney's fiance calls police. Officers arrive to find Willis in his underwear with an empty glass of wine in hand, according to the victim's families. The other two bodies were then found in the backyard. Jordan Willis tells police he has no idea what happened. Okay, Justin Boardman joining me. Former detective, West Valley City PD, Special Victims Unit, now with Boardman Training and Consulting. Yes, ma'am. Justin, you're joining us out of Kansas. Was there what? Was there any snow on that day? That would have been Jan 7? You know, there was some snow. Uh, The reports say that there was like an inch or two, just barely a skiff, if you will. Okay, let me absorb what you just said, because if there were three feet of snow and there was a body under there, maybe I could accept that the homeowner, Jordan Willis, didn't see it. Did you say a skiff? A what? A skiff. (laughs) A skiff. So an inch or two um, of snow. So not enough to cover a body where you would not see it. Much less one on the back porch. Right, especially one on the back porch and then others out in the yard. When you look at the photographs from some of the um, articles, uh, it has, without the snow, but pictures of the backyard, there isn't any brush back there. It's pretty plain. Is that true, Jen Smith? Is Justin Borman correct? He's joining us from Kansas. What can you tell me? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty... I think the temperature on John 7th went to, to freezing, you know, 32 Fahrenheit, but... No indication of huge piles of snow that would have concealed bodies. And, you know, 32 Fahrenheit, if that was going to kill you, you'd have to be out there for a very long time. You'd have to be nutritionally compromised um, and severely dehydrated as well, I think. Why would they just be out there for that long? Do we have a COD yet, Jen Smith, cause of death? No, we don't. And obviously this is going to really put the pieces of the puzzle together. The medical examiner is yet to reveal cause of death, any form of um, even estimation about what happened and crucially we don't have toxicology yet for the three men who were found dead and that could explain a huge amount but right now no answers i don't know that it's really explaining anything for me because even if they had smoked some pot even if they had had some alcohol that would not make them that would not induce them to stay out in freezing temperatures and not come back in that's right or get in their car or or bang on the door, anything. That's right. Yeah, what more do we know? Listen. On Monday, January 8th, Jordan Willis claims he did not leave his home at all. He would normally have to take his dogs, Sadie and Daisy, outside to do their business. But they're all staying at his dad's place. Without having to take the dogs out and not leaving the house for any reason, Jordan Willis doesn't realize his buddy's cars are still parked outside his house. Let me understand something. Jen Smith joining us from DailyMail.com, who has been breaking the news on this story. So when the cops get there, he saunters in 
in his boxer shorts holding a glass of wine? Yeah, he, he's holding an empty wine glass. Now, the victim's family took this to mean he was still drinking or drinking that morning. He claims it was a leftover empty glass from the night before that he was using for water. But he is, you know, by the looks of things, had just got out of bed in his boxer shorts. When the police arrive, he lets them in and they find the three other bodies. And that's January 9th, correct? That's January 9th, yes. And the party was January 7th? The party begins at 9pm on January 7th. We know that uh, Willis says that the others left or he went to bed at around 2am. So we have all day on, of course, the remainder of the, the night, January 7th and 8th, all day January 8th, the night of January 8th, and then the final discovery is on January 9th in the morning. Man, I'd be all over this looking for receipts. I'd be looking for a digital record. What about it, James Shell Nutt? Uh, you are a former cop before you turned defense attorney. I would be all up in his text. Uh, did he order in? Did he do an Instacart? Did he leave? Did he leave the home? He didn't see his friend's car still parked there. I mean, I'm just having a hard time believing this. I agree 100%. Did he communicate with anybody at all? Number two, you know, when you think about phones nowadays and technology nowadays, a lot of the times you can tell us someone actually reads your text. So even if he didn't proactively contact anyone, is there any indication that he read other people's messages that he received, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on his phone or some other method? You're right. You're absolutely right about those messages. I was thinking, did he go out for pizza? Did he leave the house? Did he go to a, an ATM? But we know more now. Listen to Rachel Bonilla and Dave Mack at Crime Online. As news starts to spread of the three friends freezing to death in the backyard while their friend is asleep inside, the families of the victims begin to speak out and ask questions. The biggest question for Jordan Willis is what happened. Next was why didn't you answer calls, text messages, and social media messages from family and friends of the three men. The Daily Mail reports Willis insists he spent the next two days in his home not thinking anything of the fact that his friend's cars were still outside and only learned they died when the fiancé of one of the men broke into the house on January 9th in the hopes of finding him. The changing stories are a problem. And Jen Smith, Daily Mail, do we know, as Shelnut pointed out, whether he was reading those texts and those uh, online messages? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be huge once it's properly probed. He says that he did not see them. We don't know yet. The messages predominantly were on Facebook Messenger, which you can tell whether or not someone has read your message. Now, the families haven't indicated specifically whether or not they got that, you know, read receipt. But you could, for the sake of argument, see that the relatives of, you know, your dead friend were trying to contact you and just not simply not open the message. We don't know is the answer to your question, Nancy, whether or not he opened the messages all we know is he says he didn't see them and only saw them after the police came to his home on January 9th and the bodies were found. I'm curious as to what his reaction was when he realized all three of his friends are dead. Well, he's been, he himself actually has not spoken to the media. He has actually moved out of this house now. He's deleted all of his social media accounts. So all of the communication about how he's feeling, what he's thinking is coming through this attorney. And the attorney tells me that he is, you know, devastated, anxiously awaiting more information from the police about how his friends died, insistent that he wanted no harm to come to them, that they had the plans to go to the next Chiefs game. 
But he himself is yet to make any kind of public statements or give any interviews about this. I mean, I think all of us have so many unanswered questions that if he just answers them with the truth, it, it would explain a lot. But he hasn't said anything. He's relying on his attorney to, uh, to do the talking for him. I find that curious as well. I'll, I'm also curious if he's going to show up at their funerals. Guys, it's not the first time someone claims they slept through a death. Take a listen to our Cut 16 from Crime Online. 42-year-old Barbara Woods is at home in bed asleep with her husband when her son-in-law, Kenneth Parks, sneaks into the bedroom, stabs and chokes her husband, then turns his rage on her, using a tire iron to beat her about the head and a knife to stab her four times, causing her death. Parks is charged with the murder, and at trial, his attorney claims that on the night of the killing, Kenneth Parks was plunged into a deep, deep sleep. His next memory is seeing his mother-in-law's face. The attorney said he then regained consciousness and fled the house and drove to a nearby police station. According to his attorney, the 24-year-old Kenneth Parks was sleepwalking as he drove the 14 miles to his mother-in-law's house and killed her in bed, wounding his father-in-law. The jury agreed, and Parks was acquitted. That's true. Barbara Woods at home, asleep with her husband, her son-in-law, drives 14 miles to their home, he says, in his sleep, murders the mother-in-law and father, beating them with a tire iron, killing the mother-in-law, wounding the father-in-law, and he was acquitted. That's right, Kenneth Parks. I'm, I'm having a hard time uh, letting that soak in, but there's more. Take a listen to our Cut 21. Living in a three-story home in Buffalo, New York, while attending the University of Buffalo, Elena Zabel and her roommates go to a party at the Sigma Chi fraternity, not far from their house. One of the roommates headed home earlier than the rest, and by the time Zabel made it back to the house, the door was locked and she didn't have a key. Zabel climbs through a bathroom window and notices a weird smell. Calling out for her roommate, she doesn't get a reply, but hears heavy breathing and thinks her roommate is asleep, so she goes to bed herself. Her roommate isn't sleeping. At that very moment, she's being brutally attacked. Hours later, Zabel awakes and finds her roommate clinging to life. 911 is called, and the roommate is rushed to the hospital where she spends months in a coma and a recovery that was very long. Many people question why it took so long to call for help. Hours between the attack and the call for help. Four years later, the serial rapist was convicted of rape and attempted murder. stories with Nancy Grace. Jen Smith, one very disturbing facet of this case. Three friends dead in the backyard. You don't answer texts, messages, phone calls for now three days. Jan 7, 8, and 9 when police get there on the 9th. But the changing of the stories, that shouldn't change. That what happened should not change, Jen Smith. What is the most disturbing change in the story? I mean, for me, it has to be the fact that initially the story was he left them inside the house, hanging out downstairs. And then the second iteration of the story is, no, 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 they left. I waved them goodbye. And then at some stage, they must have come back. 
One thing I do want to say, and this goes back to the fact that Jordan Willis hasn't yet spoken to the media himself, changing stories could be down to a really ill-equipped or just incompetent attorney, right? All we've heard on Jordan Willis's behalf is coming from his attorney. Now, if Jordan Willis has his story straight and he's letting his lawyer do all the talking and the lawyer is changing the story, it's in his best interest to get out there and set the record straight. But if it is the case that he's been changing his story to his lawyer, who has been, you know, contemporaneously changing it to the press, that's going to be hugely problematic for him down the line if, if there's a criminal case. Guys, he says he slipped through the whole thing and had no idea what was going on. But others disagree. Many others disagree. Take a listen to our 14 with Nicole Parton. John Pisserno, an attorney representing Willis, said his client had no idea his friends were dead until police knocked on his door. The New York Post shared a Facebook post from Kaylee Latino who wrote, my husband banged on his door for 20 minutes. Latier continued, my friend banged on his door and then busted a window and yelled and announced her presence while she's inside and steal nothing from him. Then the cops come 10 minutes later and he comes out nonchalant in his boxers with an empty wine glass in hand. Nothing is adding up. Dave, Clay and Ricky need and deserve justice. Okay. This is what I'm trying to figure out. Jen Smith, do the relatives and friends of the victims believe Jordan Willis? No, absolutely not. Under no circumstances, they say that none of this adds up. They need more information. And they are devastated at the not only their death, but the lack of information from him, someone who had apparently been friends with them since they were at high school, so would know their, their families. And from the police, you know, from the get-go, the police said, nothing to see here, no foul play. We're going to carry on our investigation, but we have no reason to believe anyone is in danger, nor do we have any reason to believe Jordan Willis did anything wrong. Making that kind of statement before you have a cause of death, they may have been a bit hasty there. And the families are, you know, rightfully questioning why they are so comfortable stating that there is no foul play when the investigation isn't complete. We don't even have a cause of death yet. Dr. Kendall Crown's chief medical examiner, Tarrant County, Fort Worth, if the bodies became frozen, would that affect finding out a COD cause of death? No, actually, uh, the cooling or the freezing of the bodies will slow down decomposition and actually prevent decomposition so that it will maintain the body itself. So they, it won't uh, alter cause of death at all. Now, one thing you have to think of with three individuals dying suddenly, there has to be a commonality between all three of them. In an environmental factor, the fact that they're all healthy, I just can't think that they wouldn't get themselves out of a cold situation. So, you know, could it be drugs? Could it be something else? And you also have to throw in there, you have a research scientist and his three friends are all now dead. It's it's all very odd. Yes, odd. There's definitely smoke. But is there fire? I believe that you can sleep through something, a crime happening in the next room or right above you. What about the roommates of the Idaho students in the Brian Koberger murder case? 
Take a listen to Dave Mack. Dylan Mortensen and Bethany Funk were both home when Brian Koberger allegedly snuck into their home in the early morning hours and stabbed Maddie Mogan, Kaylee Gonzalez, Zana Cronodal, and Ethan Chapin to death in their beds. The New York Post reported the two women were texting each other while the murders were happening, and Dylan Mortensen came face-to-face with the killer right after the attack and gave a description of the alleged murderer, saying he was wearing black and had bushy eyebrows. This information caused a lot of online attacks with people wondering why, if they were home and awake during the attacks, and Mortensen saw the man dressed in black, why did it take hours before police were called? We're waiting to hear answers to that. There have been a a lot of suggestions online amongst trolls that the two surviving roommates actually had something to do with their murders. That's not true. I can emphatically state that is not true. These two girls had nothing to do with those four murders. But what about this case? Okay, Dr. Jory Crozen, psychologist, former law enforcement, now faculty, St. Leo University. What do you think? Really, there's got to be a commonality, something in their death. Uh, it may be like drugs or something, some kind of a, a drug that OD'd possibly, but you know, certain types of drugs, uh, you know, like uh, fentanyl, you could tell from the bodies possibly, but if they're frozen, they're going to be just kind of locked in that state. But we don't have any reason to think these guys were using drugs. Shelna, what do you think? I, I'm in total agreement that there, there's a commonality. You know, when you talk about drugs, you know, you also talk okay, about... Okay, you know what? Forget the commonality. All right? That, that's not really telling me anything. Yes, they probably all were killed the same way. Well, we've talked a lot about drugs. I haven't talked a lot about drugs because nobody said they were using drugs. Well, you know, we, we've talked about whether or not something could have been ingested. And, and the bottom line is it could be drugs, but it could be a poison as well. well I'm sorry. Am, am I the only one that sees the elephant in the room? A man claims he's totally unaware of search efforts for three of his friends. They are there for three days, Jan 7, 8, and 9. His story is changing. They're dead. One's on the back porch. Hello, you can see it from inside. The other two are out in the garden. And he says he knew nothing. What? That doesn't make sense to me. Uh, Jen Smith, could you help me, please? I mean, you want me to believe three guys go in the backyard and drop dead? No, I, I don't think that's what happened. And I think what Wendy we're trying to get at here is both could be, he could have, you know, lied about not knowing anything and they could have died of, of some kind of accidental overdose, you know, different type of recreational drug laced with fentanyl, THD, synthetic drugs. Is there a scenario in which all of the men are taking drugs, perhaps supplied by Jordan Willis or someone else, in which the three of them end up dying and Jordan Willis panics and doesn't alert anybody. Is that a possibility? We don't know. Now, I want to emphatically state that the police are not saying that that is what's happened, but he could have concealed the fact that his friend died of an accidental drug overdose without actually murdering them or doing something, you know, more violent to them just for the sake of panic and protecting his, you know, science career. While showing up, when police are standing there. I mean, have you ever seen um, the program Cops? Mm. Because there'll be a guy sitting in his easy chair in the den uh, throwing back a beer. And cops come running through the house and he just watches them go by and keeps watching TV like that's normal. 
mean, this guy strolls in in his underwear with a wine glass. I don't think that's a good look. One thing that is to his defense is that there was no obvious sign of foul play on the three bodies. They weren't shot. They weren't bludgeoned dead. There was nothing to indicate they had been murdered. So how do you wake up and your three friends' cars are parked outside your house, your phones are full of messages and texts looking for your three friends, and they're on your back porch and in your garden, and you don't know. How did that happen? Of course, Jordan Willis, through his lawyer, insists he had nothing to do with this, and In our jurisprudence system, he is always presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. We wait as justice unfolds. Goodbye, friend. Goodbye.